Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to Deep Blue Sea, the podcast. I am Jay Kluwer, and on this show, myself and my regular co-host Mark Hoffmeyer have gone through the entire Deep Blue Sea trilogy, one DVD chapter at a time. We're now looking at some Deep Blue Sea adjacent films, uh, which is films directed by Rennie Harlan, featuring sharks, or lots of underwater action, which is the case today with Sphere. What is Sphere? Well, it's a 1998 film directed by Barry Levinson, based on a screenplay by from, from Stephen Hauser, Paul Atanasio, and adapted by Kurt Wimmer, who also wrote The Misfits, directed by Rennie Harlan, which we covered a couple of weeks ago. Uh, connections all over the place. This stars Dustin Hoffman, Sharon Stone, Samuel Jackson, Leo Schreiber, and Peter Coyote as a team of scientists and other people who uh, go out to the middle of the Pacific Ocean to look at what is believed to be an alien spacecraft uh, that has crash-landed sometime in the past, and hilarity ensues. Uh, Queen Latifah and Margot Gomez are also in the cast. Uh, this is a first-time watch for me, so I need somebody who uh, is very passionate about this film, couldn't wait to talk about this film, but had to wait a long time for me to track down a copy. Uh, so she was a guest for the first half of the kitchen fight back on Deep Blue 1, and then returned for 47 Metres Down and 47 Metres Down Uncaged a few months back. Uh, so returning to the show, it's a friend of the show, it's Jess Manzo. Jess, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me back. Thank you for being here. I've done a Lambcast episode about Cube. Now I'm doing an episode about Sphere. So I just need to do an episode about, you know, Triangle, triangle yeah. Prism, something uh, of that nature. There's a couple of films called The Circle that you could do. I don't think any of them are any good. Uh, but yeah, um, uh, Triangle is, is up there. Uh, a friend of the show, Bubba Wheat, will soon be covering that on his on his podcast. It's time to rewind, uh, scene mm. by scene, pretty much, or in chunks. Good. So, do you do you have a favorite shape, or a favorite uh, shape based film? <laughs> hmm. Interesting. Well, I probably out of the three might like Triangle the best. <laughs> well, have you have you seen it? You're a fan. I have seen Triangle before. Okay. okay. That's, I mean, I, I didn't love it. When I, I, it was really hyped up to me when I saw Triangle, and I watched it, and it, I found it very uh, predictable, given what I knew mm. about it going in. Um, but then I've seen well, a lot of that kind of film. <laughs> so. I wouldn't say it was, like, a stunner, necessarily. Yeah, I'd had a lot of people going, oh, you've got to see Triangle, Triangle's amazing, what's Triangle? It's, oh, it's blow your mind. And it did not. 
<laughs> all three of them have some cult um, film features that are pretty different, but I I did like, you know, pinpointing things in Triangle, you know, without getting too into it. Yes. And Cube has some very interesting, unique elements. And then Sphere's got that, like, 90s, somewhat campy action sci-fi thing going on. Yes, yeah, you said they all have, like, a, a cult aspect to them. Like, I know there's a, a following for Triangle and a following for, for Cube. I wasn't aware there was a following for Sphere. Oh, there's uh, not. I don't okay. think so. <laughs> okay. <'Cause> it, <laughs> I just mean, I guess I'm equating a little bit of, like, can't, I mean, Sphere's not campy intentionally but i feel like it has one of those kinds of vibes to it that you would get watching some other 90s action movies that feel like of its time yeah so there's a a podcast i mentioned on the show before called two old queens which is these two guys who are on a mission to find the gayest film ever <laughs> uh and they, they don't they've got a bunch of categories that they rate every film they watch on and one of them is how camp is the film, and then one of the guests. In the same way, that I I have a list of how the film is like Deep Blue Sea. Uh, he he reels off a list of how, of everything camp that he finds in the film. And watching Sphere, I think he would have a hard time finding a lot of things that would be uh, camp about it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is uh, quite a sincere film, I think. Oh yeah, it's uh, not it's not intentionally trying to be campy at all. No, no. But then sometimes that makes films even campier. Intentional camp, <laughs> I have learned, uh, is the worst kind of camp. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun podcast. I'd recommend it. They did Deep Blue Sea on one of their uh, Patreon episodes where they did a, a shark month, uh, <laughs> where they did Jaws, Deep Blue Sea, Shark Tale, <laughs> of all things, and then Piranha 3D. That was a fun month. Anyway, <laughs> Sphere. Let's talk about Sphere. So... What is it about Sphere that when I initially sent out the list of, here's some Deep Blue Sea adjacent films, I'm not even sure if Sphere was on there or not, and you came back and said, I want to talk about Sphere. Like, <laughs> prior to 47 Meters Down, which was easily accessible on Netflix, uh, uh, why, why this one? So I realized that I've kind of hyped up my um, relationship to Sphere. I think a big part of it was that I remember watching this movie. It was kind of one of those movies that I feel like was on quite a bit. So I would rewatch it, you know, maybe not in its entirety, but, you know, catch it in the middle, rewatch it here and there when I was a kid. But I've never watched it as an adult. I don't think I've even watched it since, like, maybe middle school age at the oldest. So I think what I really wanted was to revisit this movie. It wasn't necessarily that I have, like, an undying love for it, but I have had a very strong inclination to rewatch it because there are several parts of this movie that were like emblazoned into my mind from seeing it as a child okay. that I feel like I, I wanted to revisit that. You are uh, not the first person to pick a film based on, I think I remember liking that. And then <laughs> uh, that maybe not being the case when we come to talk about, <laughs> uh, we had uh, Aaron on to talk about uh, the Rennie Harden film, 12 Rounds. And apparently it was a lot better in his memory than, than in the rewatch. But I had fun with that one. Uh, so the, the John Cena. It, it's John Cena's Die Hard with a Vengeance, but was also with the entire plot of Speed in one scene in the middle of it. Uh, so it's a very derivative but fun film. And uh, Littlefinger is the bad guy. So, um, so that's, uh, that's Aiden, Aiden Gillen. Anyway, uh, so that's fun. I think the other thing was that I feel like 
this movie and Deep Blue Sea hold like somewhat of a similar like like memory in my mind of watching movies around that time. And they both, you know, have to deal with like a compound in the middle of the ocean and things like that, that, you know, people getting killed off one by one that, you know, they kind of felt like a good, a good candidate for your series of yeah. deep blue sea adjacent movies. It, it, it absolutely is. When it comes to the list section, I have a long old list of how this film is. I've had to edit the list down to get rid of some of the more obvious things because uh, <laughs> is, there is a lot of similarities. Uh, in this film that I would say is, is far less fun than Deep Blue Sea, uh, but still uh, entertaining nonetheless. It's a film that I, I feel like if you were to explain the plot to somebody, it sounds like it should be so much better than it is, given that <laughs> f- full spoilers for for Sphere at this point. Um, it, the, the, it has a time-travelling spaceship inside which is a giant golden alien sphere that if you go inside it somehow, it then makes your dreams come to life and your nightmares come to life. There is so much potential in that for an incredible film. <laughs> and what we get is is far less exciting than I feel like it should have been. I didn't look into this because it's now just kind of running through my mind, but I did not remember at all that this was like based on a Michael Crichton book. And I'm curious how similar it is to that, because I imagine that a lot of the things described in here would be much more like fantastical described in a book than like translated into like a visual medium. It's maybe more underwhelming. It to me feels very much like a Michael Crichton uh, story I've, I've read i've only read obviously Jurassic park and the lost world that's the only two of his books i've read so far i have others to read uh, but given that it is the main characters are mostly scientists that's a very michael Crichton move to do mm, given I, the, there the were other, several yeah. things that reminded me of jurassic park in this now obviously jurassic park is like you know much better much better movie yes i would agree um, <laughs> but there were a lot of things that I'm like, okay, he's really going back to a similar well here from Jurassic Park. I don't even know if he wrote this after Jurassic Park, honestly. So maybe he reused some of these tropes in Jurassic Park. Uh, he wrote he wrote Sphere in '87 and Jurassic Park in 1990, so he, it is reuse reuse. And we we recently covered Congo on the show, which he wrote in 1980. So this is uh, another <laughs> Crichton film we uh, Does Congo? I I did see that as a child, but I have not. I don't remember that very well at all. Does that also involve like a team of various specialists? It kind of does. They're not really a team. They're 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 a group. There's like a group of people who are all transporting, who are all headed to the same area of Congo for different reasons. So they're all going there together, but not really as a team. And so there's um there is a science. There's a couple of scientists, Grant Heslov and the guy from. The other guy from Nip Tuck that's not Julian McMahon, uh, <laughs> whose name I can never remember. Mm-hmm. That's there, like transporting their talking gorilla to the Congo, obviously. And um, you've got Laura Linney is going there to try and find her fiance, Bruce Campbell. And um, then there's a faction who are going there to try and find some diamonds. And there's a big game hunter who's taking them there. Uh, it's just a but, but, and yeah, they get picked off one by one. But Congo is a much looser. Uh, Crichton film, I think, but again, it's, it kind of has scientists in the starring role, and then you've got Disclosure has no scientists in it. That's a very unlike Crichton film, uh, also directed <laughs> by by Barry Levi- Barry Levinson, the adaptation of that. Ah. One. 
and that's a that's a fun old film, um, <laughs> which I, I discovered through Big Mouth. Uh, oh yeah, because of disclosure of the musical. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that film far more than I should do. Uh, <laughs> but then like you got Westworld. Um, yeah, he, he likes his robots. He likes his science. I, I think I, I've got a little kind of unofficial mission to watch all of the Crichton adaptations, which I think is probably going to be a mistake because <laughs> many of them do not have a good reputation. <laughs> well, okay. So on Sphere, rewatching it, mm. I definitely remembered those key scenes. Like when they came up, I was like, oh yes, this is what I remember. But I really did not remember the plot that well or like how things developed. So I was kind of like along for the ride, I would say, because I was like, well, where, how does this get to this point kind of thing? And I feel like I enjoyed the ride well enough. Like it wasn't a movie that I was like, oh God, this is just awful. There's a few scenes that I think are like noticeably not great scenes um, or great like scenes of dialogue. But overall I was like, okay, this isn't like, a fantastic movie not that I remembered it necessarily being one but I was like this is all right like it kind of drags a little bit but overall like I did not think it was like god-awful okay so uh I I watched this uh one evening after work which was a mistake so I started to drift off towards the end which to be fair the film ends and then there's 20 more minutes of film uh so <laughs> and I was like I want to go to bed I would like the film to end now please uh, so I, I was kind of drifting off towards the end of it. Uh, so I, w- I watched it again this morning, and that second watch, much better than the first one. When I knew the direction it was taking, and I could kind of... Because, you know, it, the the dreams manifesting isn't something you learn until towards the end of the film. So yeah. knowing that from earlier gave me a whole different perspective on on the events of the film. And I, I kind of liked it up until the, the silly ending. I think the ending is still silly. Uh, the... Um, all hold hands in a circle and agree to forget is oh, yeah. kind of a cop out. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's kind of a it was all a dream, uh, <laughs> um, uh, kind of nonsense. So aside from that, the everything prior to that, but I I don't know if I was like reading into it more than the film kind of wanted me to because I we we it's kind of established that the three main characters of of uh, Beth Norman and Harry. Uh, um, Sharon Stone, Dustin Hoffman and Sam Jackson they all go into the sphere at some point, we'll get into what that means soon because I have issues with that uh, they all go in at some point but we're not entirely sure when uh, Beth goes in and my reading of it second time around was that she goes in like way early in the film maybe even before Sam Jackson does and also Ted, Leo Schroeder goes in at some point as well because I, everything that happens after they encounter the sphere could be read as uh, a, a fear or a worry of one of those characters that's being manifested because they've been in the sphere. And this is something I wanted them to dig down a little bit more. So, like, Peter Coyote's character, who I loved Peter Coyote in this, like, his, when we first meet him, he's like, wearing sunglasses below decks on a boat, and they have a big walk and talk <laughs> whilst he's wearing sunglasses. Below... <laughs> and like, whenever you have, like, a villainous character, he's not really a villain, but, like, uh, an authoritarian character wearing sunglasses indoors. I love that move. It's a cliche, and I don't know why it, why it has to happen, but he looks great and it's fantastic. <laughs> uh, like him finding Beth's uh, psych report that reveals that she uh, tried to commit suicide when she was younger. I, I think that is an entire manifestation of Beth's fears having gone into the 
the sphere. Because he shouldn't have that file. That shouldn't be that. Like, the only way that could be there is via magic, via dream manifestation. That's super interesting. <laughs> I didn't think about that at all. And, like, her her, her fear of... Uh, when when she and, and Norman, they have a, a history together where he was her therapist and they had some kind of an affair, their relationship, they, they grow together a little bit more post going in the sphere. Is that one of her fears, that she becomes closer to somebody who... I've, I've, may have abused her in the past there's a, like a way of reading into all of it like uh, uh, when uh, Sam Jackson's character when Harry uh, starts solving the equations and the, the code through quicker is that a fear of Leo Schreiber's character of Ted because they have this kind of war going on between them of competitiveness mm. like uh, Beth gets le- she becomes the only female down trapped with a bunch of men is that a fear of hers is every single plot point of this film Based on Evis. That's how I, that's how I read it, and I kind of loved it after that. It's not that's just, a really fun reading of it. It's not just the jellyfish and the giant squids and the uh, the the devil sea snakes, and and the same screaming fish that we saw in Forty Seven Meters Down Uncaged, which gets a nice <laughs> jump scare. It's everything, the whole thing. <laughs> I also was thinking in the scene where they're like, "If you do this, it'll start a fire," and then like the fires are like seemingly way more abrupt and crazy than i even like would expect that to like function in that way yeah you could also read that as like them projecting the fear of starting a fire absolutely and like um uh, they send they send ted and leave trouble down to uh to turn off a valve he goes down there he can't do it properly he's trying to use a machine he can't do it he's proving he's useless is that a fear of his that he wants to mm-hmm. like because he wants to prove his worth he feels like he feels lesser than these other these like older, more experienced scientists who got PhDs a year before he did. Uh, so, but they never fully explain this, and I, I feel like just a couple more scenes, a couple more lines of dialogue like, expressing that this could how there could be like real in depth reads and and thought pieces, think pieces about sphere going on online somewhere about how yeah, it's all about could, our psychosis. They could have laid on the. Uh, the logic even more where you're right. It would turn into one of those things where people like continuously argue over time and debate, like which parts were like attributed to the sphere. Yeah. This could be the, the nineties version of 2001, a space odyssey. I think everyone's theories instead of Jessica, just remembering like queen Latifah being attacked by jellyfish, (laughs) which to be fair, fantastic scene. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that is one of the scenes that really just, if I think of that movie, like that scene really stuck out to me as a child. It seemed terrifying when I was a kid and it's still scary. But like when I was a kid, I thought it was like a horror movie level scary. Well, um, th- that is like one of the more horrific scenes because, you know, later on there's a giant squid attack, but you never see the bloody squid, which <laughs> is so frustrating. <laughs> what you see is this, this shower of giant eggs that I was watching and thinking, like, are they some kind of, is this like giant gnocchi or something? Is, what is what is going on there? But no, it's apparently it's squid eggs and there's thousands of them. Uh, but the the Queen of Teeth being, being killed by a swarm of jellyfish is definitely a, a memorable it's probably the, the most memorable kill from the film, uh, but Queen of Tip, she doesn't get anything to do in this film. She's like, this is this is post set it off. A film I have not seen, but I hear she's very good in it. Uh, so like, she was an established uh, a film star at this point. It's like post uh, House Party two she's in, and uh, but she's like the comms officer. She basically has the the Ida Totoro role, where she's but with far less to do. 
where she's like you know, on the communications, goes out, killed by jellyfish. Gets like five yeah. lines of dialogue. <laughs> if you were like expecting her to be like the LL Cool J figure of the movie, then you will be very disappointed. Very much so, yeah. And I feel like it's definitely a sign of when the movie was made, because I feel like if this movie came out even like two or three years later, she would have her role would have been so much more defined, so much more comedic. I mean, I mean, four years later, she's nominated for an Oscar for Chicago. So yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, and it is the... odd seeing her. She probably I I could imagine her being like, oh, this is cool because it's like a different genre than you would necessarily expect her yeah, to it's be in. Working and for Barry Levinson, like... an established director. It's in Michael yeah. Crichton adaptation. Freaking can... Dustin Hoffman, you know, Sharon like Stone, Samuel Sam Jackson, Jackson. yeah. <laughs> it definitely yeah. presents a pedigree absolutely I, I don't blame her for taking on the role I, I I just feel like they could have given her like anything to do and and the other uh, lady down there uh, Marga, Marga Gomez is someone I'm not as familiar with but she is like an established uh, comic she's done a lot of stand up in her time she only has like seven acting credits to her name she was most, most recently in Sense8 the, the Wachowskis TV series mm-hmm. uh, but so she it's like she gets I've heard elsewhere she's been just forgotten in this film as well. She could have had lots more to do. She dies off screen. Gets taken out by the squid ghost. Yeah, that was another death that I remember being, like, very gruesome. Like, how you see her body. Yeah. And it's just, like... How did they put it? They said it was, like... She was pulverized. She's like a a ragdoll, I think they said. That is just a horrifying yeah. thing to imagine. She is now two-dimensional. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she is circle. Yeah. And so, so it does mean there's there's two other deaths that we may as well talk about now. We'll talk about the death. So uh, Peter Cote's character Barnes, he has a really crap film death, and that he gets cut in half by a door. But he'd never he'd like, <laughs> which sounds awful. Um, but like he's propped a door open, it's trying to shut automatically, and you don't see him get cut off. You see his legs kind of slide down and his head go like, Ugh! and then that's it. Uh, yeah, a little understated. Absolutely, given that he's like one of he's fourth build, he's one of the main characters. Uh, at that point in the film, there are four people left alive in the film, and and, uh, and then Leo Schreiber, he has a real protracted Stellan Skarsgård in in Deep Blue Sea kind of death, where like he's uh, gets bonked on the head trying to uh, fix that valve. Then the fire breaks out, so he's rushing around, and he goes to try and help out uh, uh, Dustin Hoffman. And then the ceiling collapses on him, traps him on this metal grate where he can see through the floor this trail of fire leading to these a uh, 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 bunch of gas that explodes and kills him. Or whilst Dustin Hoffman's just kind of sat there watching him, and it turns out that that was his that Dustin Hoffman's fear that he would have to sit there and watch. Uh, Leo Schreiber die, so he he died because of someone else's fear, which is kind of messed up, I think. Yeah, <laughs> it takes a bit of the like fate out of it if it's just some guy being scared in a corner. Yeah, yeah, this is this, this, there's so much potential in this film. <laughs> I just kind of I I don't want to put all the blame at, at Barry Levinson's feet, but I don't think it's terribly well directed. Uh, like it's hard to to work out what's going on in some scenes, like we just mentioned with with the Peter Cody death. It's not terribly well edited. Uh... I also think that 
compared to a lot of other films that have this sort of setup where there is a um, specific set piece where everybody's on, you get far less of a lay of the land and like a visual feeling of the environment. It feels very limited yes. to like three spaces, three yeah, or four yeah. spaces, I guess. But you yeah. don't get these sort of like nice establishing shots where you're seeing like how everything works together and like get a very uh like a, a mood set for what it feels like there so that's what we need when they arrive at the base which i think it's called the habitat queen latifah needs to show them around she needs to have the the janice exposition scene from deep blue sea where she like talks about okay so this is this level this is this level this is where you sleep this is what this is the kitchen this is where we're going we over and it, it feels like so the, the crew is four scientists, one kind of Navy special ops guy, and then the two people who know how to use the work in the base. I feel like there should be way more military people or just base staff there to like keep it going, not not just Queen Latifah and, and, and Marga Gomez. There should be just, like, just a, a staff of people. Yeah, <laughs> especially the idea of them going onto this, like, unidentified spacecraft and it's literally just the scientists and yeah. like the one military wait does even yeah the, yeah they, they all that, go the five, the five of, of them yeah, like yeah. you would think they would come in with like some sort of artillery to like protect them in case like they just are immediately attacked yeah because they, they they say like do we want to open that door like and it's like yeah why not we're a bunch of scientists what's what could go wrong uh <laughs> we don't have any weapons it it just feels under underwritten a little bit in terms of like who who is there and what what, what is happening. Uh, I'm now then... imagining that scene you described of like Queen Latifah like giving them like a tour and injecting her with some like personality. Yeah, and throw some you... jokes in. Yeah. Yeah, and you if you had some like stronger attachment to her like character by the time she dies, it would be like even more impactful. Absolutely, but. To be fair, none of the crew seem that upset when she dies either. <laughs> when her death, like uh, 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 Leo Schreiber's character is trying to talk to her on the comms, they just say like, "Just walk through the walk through this cloud of jellyfish that you can't see through." Uh, he's messing up so that everybody on on the base can hear that conversation and hear her dying, and everyone just kind of listens impassively and doesn't make any kind of reaction. Yeah. <laughs> to this human they are they've been sharing space with for a day or so yeah and the the idea of them projecting the sound is like pretty horrific yeah the idea of it and i feel like it doesn't like feel as horrific to the people experiencing it as you would think yeah it just feels like oh well and, and even when they said oh yeah something bad happened to uh, what's her name? Fletcher to Fletcher. And oh, wait, apparently her name is Alice Teeny Fletcher. She has a nickname Teeny. Uh, I I had difficulty remembering any one of those three names uh, just now. <laughs> so uh, like when they said, oh, "Oh, Fletcher, something horrible's happened to Fletcher," no one cares. It just it just <laughs> it just happened. And then no one mourns for for Edmonds, who's Margaret Gomez's character. They just find her dead, and then that's it. Uh, this film, yeah. Uh, well, I'm glad you didn't hate it. No, I, I mean, I did. I did. First, I didn't hate it first around. I was kind of annoyed with it first around, but I, I liked it more second. Mm -hmm. yeah. I felt like uh, watching it 
that around like three quarters of the way through, it felt like longer than it should have. Mm -hmm. And that was where I felt like the weakest part of it was that it could have just been tightened up a bit and it would have been better for sure. It is not a short film. It is two and a quarter hours long, which yes, it is. Uh, That is, I would say half an hour too long. (laughs) Um, I would have been much happier if this was under two hours. Uh, yeah. So it's just, it sucks when there's a movie that you're like, oh, there was untapped potential, but it was also bloated somehow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not sure what I would, what I would take out, but then also there's not a, a huge amount of like iconic eventful scenes. Like, I mean, they, they want to add more things. Like they, they completely skip the training sequence when they, when they're talking about, we're going down there. There's a great, there's some nice exposition to, well, this ship crashed 300 years ago. There's, 300 years worth of coral on it but it's completely un- unfazed the ship is just it's immaculate uh but then they say okay you're gonna go through some basic training so you can know how to work a thousand feet deep and then that but then we're going down i like the training scenes when in other films i always enjoy those kind of things uh, like the, the armageddon training sequences which this this film kind of felt like uh, a highbrow armageddon uh with like this, this team of non- astronauts go from space team of non-divers going down to, to look at aliens it's like, like yeah, I mean, we, we could train uh divers how to talk to aliens or we could teach the alien people how to dive so <laughs> which I, I i like that kind of thing <laughs> um, I, which... I did really enjoy the like mystery of them going onto the ship and being like because when they went on the ship i completely forgot the aspect that it was an american spaceship that I totally forgot the whole time travel element of this movie and the whole business with the black hole. But when they went on the ship, I was like, this is, I know it's hard to like think of things that don't exist, but like, I was like, this looks just like anything that we would have on earth. Like it's very convenient that the aliens have the same exact stuff that we have on (laughs) earth. Even things in English. Yeah, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, okay, a, this a is intriguing human, now. It's a human skeleton uh, holding so a bag that, of almonds. Hmm. <laughs> I, I did like how that kind of clicked in place there, where I was like, okay, well, that makes sense that it's, you know, very earthbound materials. Because at first, Ted is, like, commenting on how, like, how futuristic or, like, interesting it seems like the materials are so much stronger, but it looks just like any basic thing that existed at the, in the nineties. And I'm like, are are they trying to say that this is like some alien tech stuff? But then the idea of it just being like, Oh, it's just like earth made or, you know, man-made materials that have just like improved over the next 50 years. Like that feels realistic. Yeah, when they're looking at the the dates and they see the unknown event, and it's like the date is the year is forty three, but like what what twenty forty three, sixteen forty three? I don't know what's more terrifying is a line from Sharon so which is great. Uh, but also, yes, use the four digit date, like put the the twenty. I mean, that could be twenty five forty three for all we know. Who knows? Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't look beyond that. No, they, they didn't. They, I mean, you could, there's no way of knowing. It just you only have the two-digit year. It's, it's the floor in the system. Uh, I like yeah. they were like it could be 2043 or 1943, and I'm like, guys, it's not 1943. 
Well, they, they, she said uh, 2043 or 1643. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, gosh, even Cause, worse. Because it had crashed in 17-something. So. Right. <laughs> but, if, yeah, Twitch Dustin's response was, um, there wasn't an America around then, let alone a spaceship. <laughs> so, <laughs> which is great. Yeah, I, I like that. And, you know, how they determined the how long it had been down there by the, the coral growth is, is a nice little uh, Michael Crichton science fact I'm gu- I guarantee is in the book uh, but I, yeah I, I thought I, all those aspects were really interesting and then like the idea of the sphere is very interesting it's ultimately like completely mysterious because <laughs> they never really you know find out the origins or you know where it comes from or what its motivations are so like that can go either way because sometimes when you explain something like the mystery would have been better than like a bad explanation. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, but I, I did kind of want to see a little bit more as to how they go into the sphere, what it means to go in. I, I want to see inside the sphere or like, just what it, what it means to go into it because like Sam Jackson goes up to it and then a, a, the sphere doesn't reflect anything. It doesn't want to reflect. It doesn't reflect them. It reflects everything else apart from them. But then when he goes up to it, he sees his reflection, and then a, a terrible Photoshop of it goes up and slides up the, the sphere, and then he disappears. He's inside, which the same thing happens to Dustin Hoffman, kind of. But it's, it seems inconsistent as to how you appear outside of the sphere. Like Sam Jackson remembers going inside it. Dustin Hoffman doesn't. It's it's a little inconsistent as to what it means to go into the sphere. Yeah, and she says... Um... You didn't tell him what was inside of it, but they never tell us what was inside of it. <laughs> right. And he doesn't even remember going in. Like, so how frustrating is that going to be? <laughs> and then they'll decide to forget. He doesn't even know what he's forgetting. Ah, <sighs> terrible. Uh... We haven't even really gotten into the, like, dairy of the whole thing. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, just before we get into that, I did, I did like how they assembled the team. This was, this was kind of, I didn't like this first time around, but I, I, grown to appreciate it where back in the first bush administration dustin hoffman's character was approached to write a thesis on what if there is an alien encounter what should we do and so he wrote this guideline of okay so you want to have a psychiatrist like me uh, you want to have a mathematician like my mate harry you want to have a biochemist uh, like this uh, patient slash student i had a relationship with beth <laughs> like someone like her uh, you want to have a uh, astrophysicist like uh, my mate's son, Ted. Uh, yeah, like him. And then, oh, and I have a special ops guy. I don't know any of those because they're special ops. And then, what do you know? An alien encounter occurs and they they go by the letter and recruit everybody that he wrote down in his book. And it turns out he just, obviously he'd made it up because it hadn't been an alien encounter at that point. So I don't know why he was concerned about it being brought up for fraud because it was speculation. He was hired as an expert to write that and he did the best he could. But so he just kind of made some stuff up and then based it on the writings of Isaac Asimov and Rod Sterling. I I did love that part of it. I thought that was like it was it didn't even need to exist in this movie, but I thought it was kind of just like a funny way to draw connections between the characters and um, like all the conversations surrounding kind of like the hoax of the paper, I thought were like some of the more like lighthearted moments of it 
Yeah, because Norman goes around apologising to everybody that he's got them into the situation for just writing their name in a report because they're friends with it. Like it could have just as easily been okay as an alien. We want to have uh, we want to have a biochemist down to alien life. So they call up Sharon Stone. It's like, do you know anybody who is like a do you know like a mathematician or anything? And she just gives him a list. Of, yeah, these are my friends, and they, that's the team. But no, it's this it's a whole backstory of a report. Yeah. Uh, so there is at some point there is a code. A bunch of numbers are sent through from from the sphere and uh they they decode it oh they there are just some huge jumps in logic and assumption in how they decode it by like okay what if we take our keyboard our qwerty keyboard and map it around a sphere just stop there how for, for starting where and they say, okay well g is in the middle so you put the g in the middle and then wrap everything around in a spiral like why why like, all of the like and then they assign a number Starting from where? Going which direction? What, like, and they apply that to the code. And oh, what do you know? Magically, the, this guy's now saying he's Jerry. But just so so many leaps in in assumption and logic as to how. To just, okay, let's put your finger up. Which way's the wind going? Okay, let's do start at G, spiral. I don't know, anti-clockwise going from T. Uh, <laughs> it's nonsense. And like, what do you know? Yeah, it's wrong. Of course it is. Because you just guessed. <laughs> Well, Jay, they're geniuses, so they obviously know. I mean, yes. The fact that it made any kind of sense at all, I suppose, is is miraculous. <laughs> uh, but then when they when it turns out that it was wrong and it's not Jerry, it's actually Harry, that makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, because if, you, if you've mismapped the J and the E to be H and A, then everything they've said prior to that doesn't make sense either. <laughs> Every time you said, I'm happy, what is he saying? Because the H and the A aren't H and A. Is he zippy? <laughs> I had the same thought process. I was like, well, if you take for granted that it's only those two letters that are, like, wrong, then he's saying that makes no sense. Like, it, it does not track with the other things that were said. Yeah. Which, so may, maybe, I just think... Uh, Maybe it was because to, to to work out what, to decode it into the same letters, uh, Harry just they put it through binary or something. They look for a code in it. So maybe there was an error at that point to try and determine what is a letter and what isn't a letter in the numbers that they've been sent. But that's not how far back uh, Norman goes. He goes back to just the translation stage when he's redoing it. So I tried to make this make sense. <laughs> did not succeed. <laughs> Damn it, I tried. Also, maybe I missed something obvious, but I was like. Is this someone's manifestations, or is this a completely separate thing occurring? I thought it could be a, a manifestation of because uh, when it start when the computer says that it's it's happy, that's like a fear that Norman has of like this being this computer shouldn't have emotions. What happens if it's mad? Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, he's he's scared of a sentient emotional computer, and then uh, it, it the computer being alive and sending a code brings up Ted's fears of not being able to translate it and help. So, yeah, this is all post somebody going into the sphere. So it, it all could be read as somebody's fears. Uh, but they don't go into it enough. God damn it. So I'm, like, split because part of me, like, thinks that the, you know, uh, the computer talking is, like, you know, kind of interesting and fun. And then part of me is, like, there's no – it doesn't make sense – and maybe if this part just didn't exist at all, they could have spent more time on other things. Yeah. 
Because I do feel like they, you know, I'm assuming this is also, like, in the book, just basing on that assumption. The, like, sentient computer is, like, you know, a a trope by now. So it might have just felt like, oh, this is, like, a trope that fits in this story, so, like, let's include it. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And, like, the reveal of it being, like, um, oh, it was Harry the whole time. It's like, oh, well, that's, like, kind of fun, like, until you think about it more. You're like, oh, that's kind of fun that it was, like, Harry. But then what the f*** does that mean? Is it, like, <laughs> Harry manifesting? Is it, like, actually is part of Harry's consciousness in Sphere? Because uh, it, it seems to be talking to them when Harry's asleep. But then he's awake at some point and it's still talking to them or listening to them. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it is a tough one uh, <laughs> as to why it's because like, like at this point, first time around, I was trying to work out what's going on here. We haven't worked out this point that it's it's dreams manifesting. So I thought, okay, when when Sam Jackson went into the sphere, he died, uh, or he'd been like absorbed into the sphere and a. a uh, like a, a mindless Harry or an, an evil Harry clone, had right? Been like sent a pod back. person situation. Yeah, which is why, like when when he manifests all of the copies of Twenty Thousand Leagues Over the Sea, it stops at page eighty-seven because he's dead and doesn't know what's going on past that point. Uh, which is kind of true, but also not. It's weird as to what. Like, is there still a copy of that book somewhere? With, <laughs> no, oh no, because he found it. And I don't know why there's thousands of copies of it down there. That makes no sense. Why is that a fear? Why is he scared of, of loads of books? <laughs> Just one is enough, surely. Um, so I, I thought, like, okay, so Harry's dead. This is some drone. Well, Harry's been absorbed by the computer, and they are now talking to Harry in the sphere, uh, and he's trying to warn them or something. Because um, I, I did, I did enjoy the character of Harry, like prior to the, or prior to the sphere, where he's like, "We're all going to die down here." You know, we don't make it out. It's an unknown event, so we almost die. And night. Uh, <laughs> just, yeah. <laughs> I gotta get in that sphere. Turns out, like, goes to sleep. <laughs> I, I, right. I, it's, it's Sam Jackson. He's always great. I, I mean, I, I just like the, the everything he brings to this role is great. Uh, yeah. Oh, for sure. It's like you know, like kind of what to expect, but he also just like his presence is just. It, it it brings a lot to the role, like anything that he does usually. Um, but it's it is like a fun like loop situation where it's like, well, if he doesn't think he's going to die, he think I feel like he really wants to go into the sphere because he's like, well, I'm going to die, so like <laughs> I should do this. But if he just didn't do that, they probably would have got gone up in the pod. Yeah. So it's like him being convinced that they were going to die is what led them to like, I mean, they didn't die, but you know, that's what causes everything to go down that he was speculating about to begin with. But then I saw that as being Norman's fear because they then couldn't go up. Uh, so his fear was like that they'd be trapped down there. Uh, and then, oh, so Harry's gone. Uh, Harry's gone to this. But then at that point, he'd already, had they been in the sphere at that point? So uh, the first time uh, we're like expected to believe that anyone went into the sphere was right after that. Yes. Okay. And... So, so yes. Yeah, so it, it, I, I was wrong. It was um, when immediately after. Uh, so Harry's gone to the sphere. Norman goes to find Harry, 
and as Norman sees his reflection in the sphere, it cuts to the like submersible that's coming down to get them going back up again. Yeah. So immediately as he goes in, that fear of them being trapped down there manifests, and the stuff goes back up because they're then stuck under the, working under their own power. So at that second, it already starts manifesting. I think I think that is exactly what the film is trying to say. Like that's his fear manifesting immediately. Then. I did think that the storm was another one of those like crossover moments. Yep. With uh, Jurassic Park and Deep Blue Sea, it's I mean, like it's with not all of these films. <laughs> there's always a storm. <laughs> <laughs> there's all like I, I think in like Leviathan, there's a storm. In the Abyss, there's a st- there's always a storm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's very much a trope of. If if you're cut off from the rest of the world, there's, there's, it's, that's generally the easiest way of making you cut off if you're underwater. Uh, yeah. So, do you have any any like any uh, attachment to Barry Levinson's films, given that he is another Baltimore native? I was going to bring this up. Um, I have watched. I, I want to watch more of his movies. So, like, unfortunately, I'm not as like well versed in his movies as I should be. Um, but I have watched some of his movies and I did notice immediately that the helicopter pilot was wearing an Orioles baseball cap. Uh, uh, more on this later, but do you know who that helicopter pilot is? No. Okay. I'm not going to tell you now. I'll tell you later. Uh. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, he is definitely like, you know, one of the iconic Baltimore filmmakers so that it that is cool I mean I was kind of waiting for someone to be like I I practice in Baltimore or like I went to Johns Hopkins or something like that so <laughs> I feel like besides the Orioles cap he didn't you know drop too much too much in there for us but he's definitely you know a prolific filmmaker who has done a lot of you know Baltimore based stuff so that is cool okay looking through his his filmography there's nothing that's like screams Baltimore. Like I mean, a Diner, I'm pretty sure is is a, a, a Baltimore film. But like the natural young Sherlock Holmes, Good Morning Vietnam, Rain Man, Toys, Disclosure, uh, Wag the Dog. These aren't like uh, these aren't like Baltimore through and through kind of movies. <laughs> so a couple of these movies take place in Baltimore, but like okay. you wouldn't necessarily know. Um, like I have seen. So I when I was in college, I took a class called Baltimore in film. Just John Waters. About a lot of different things. And we watched Liberty Heights, which takes place in Baltimore. And um, Avalon takes place in Baltimore. They're both like period films. Okay. Um, And Tin Men also takes place in Baltimore. Oh, that's that's three I haven't seen. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, he also did stuff with, like, Homicide, and not that this is any good, but, like, the movie The Bay was, like, a found footage horror movie. That takes place around Chesapeake Bay, so it's, like, a Maryland-centric. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but we, we had uh, Lisa on. She, she and she's doing all of the uh, Jason Bloom films on their podcast, uh, which is includes The Bay. It's, uh <laughs> It's a Blumhouse film. So like it's been dubbed as deep as the adjacent kind of uh so it's 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 on the list, but it's it's not near the top, uh shall we say. <laughs> yeah, it's I, I would not recommend that. <laughs> okay. It has uh, been removed from the list. Uh <laughs> well, it's been pushed I mean, out. If you want to watch something further. that's kind of like you know, 
I don't know. It's just a found footage film. And like, okay. it's got all the same kind of complaints you'd have about a lot of the other ones. I'm really trying to find better films to cover on this show. Cause we, it's been a few, I mean, uh, uh last week we covered tremors. So great. Uh, but prior to that, it was a lot of, uh, less good films in a row. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to one off watch these films. <laughs> <laughs> I went to, I'm trying to be like enthusiastic for them. Like I was looking forward to watching Sphere, and I'm glad that I watched it twice. Uh, An- another film that this reminded me of was um, Event Horizon, which I just watched for the first time last year. One of Mark's favorite films. I would not say I. I don't think it's any better than Sphere. <laughs> Um, but it's got like a very similar vibe to it because it's people like a team going out to explore a ship and then something's on the ship that like kind of gets into their minds in a way like it's, it's not, it's just got like an interesting or not an interesting, but like a similar feel to the whole thing in my opinion. Yes. It was a movie of the month over on the Lamcast a few years back. Actually Mark uh, championed it. That was the first ah. time. That's the only time I've seen it. Uh, <laughs> and I remember it having some truly horrific death sequences. Uh, and, I t- and like Samuel pokes his eyes out. Other than that, I don't remember the film that much. But uh, Mark loves it and I, I will watch it again sometime. Uh, just because of, of that reason. Uh, so. yeah, like, fine. Like I was like, kind of like Spear. It's like, if I watch a movie like this, I'm like, that was a fine watch. So... Have you watched Dante's Peak for this uh, series? I have seen Do- Dante's Peak. The... I rewatched that somewhat recently, and I was like, "This is good." I, I am Team Volcano. Uh, <laughs> I, I had I recently had this conversation with Robert Zerby, friend of the show, on Twitter because he was posting about watching Dante's Peak. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I Dante's Peak is fine. Um, it, it has uh, the Pierce Brosnan problem that I have with Pierce Brosnan films. Um, where I, he's not my favorite actor, uh, but I thought you were, it was that he's way too like, like too, way too Pierce Brosnan-y to just be like a person in a movie. No, like well, he's got to be like extra special because he's <laughs> he just doesn't seem like a normal guy. Uh, I, I've never had that issue. Um, in fact, I, in fact, when I say he's not my favorite actor, I, I, like he's not my favorite Bond. Outside of Bond, I think he's fine. <laughs> Uh, but it's just, I, I say this often, but when he's playing Bond, uh, everything seems to hurt him more than it hurts anybody else. He just really, like, gurns his way through every, every like, <laughs> like, gritted teeth through 50% of his films. <laughs> well, Dante's <laughs> is also in a similar category to me as Fear, where it's like, a few of those scenes really got into my mind as a child. And it's probably why I love horror movies so much. Is because I'm like, these are the scenes that just like dig into your brain. And you're like, I'll always remember when those two teens were burned alive in an acid bath. And when the, uh, the, the grandma waded through acid to save the kids in the canoe. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Yes. See, I, I, I want to say, I don't love Volcano. I just, I just think I prefer it a little bit. And, um, I have reason to because, uh, John Carroll Lynch, who was in Volcano, he recently, like, replied to a tweet on Twitter from me from this <laughs> podcast. So, uh, I mean, I've always loved John Carroll Lynch and just that interaction makes him the greatest of all time because the, uh, he sacrifices himself. He walks through lava in, in that sequence to carry out a guy from the subway train and the guy that he's carrying 
is an actor who is in deep blue sea. One of the guys on the helicopter, he's a helicopter co-pilot. Um, who has, has a, a line of dialogue, maybe crashes and dies. Um, so I had a nice little back and forth with John Carroll Lynch on Twitter, which ended when I suggested that he be in Deep Blue Sea 4 and then uh, uh, photoshopped a picture of him, of his face <laughs> over. Um, we said that he would be like a, a scientist with a secret and he replied, the secret is that he's he's actually a shark. And so I, re- I replied with a picture of Stellan Skarsgård, but with John Carroll head on it and then shark fin photoshopped on the back. And he did not reply to that. So. <laughs> <laughs> he was like... This has reached the end. This has gone too far. (laughs) (laughs) That is really cool, though, that he was responsive and everything. That is that he's such a great actor. I feel like he's one of those guys that I'm like, oh, this is going to be a good role. Like, no matter what's going on here, like he'll he'll be solid. He's just as good as being like horrifying and menacing, like in Zodiac, as he is just being like the nicest guy in the world, like in Fargo. I I I love the the married couple of him and Francis McDermott in Fargo. They just you know, he's just gonna make some eggs. Speaking of the scene of John Carroll Lynch walking through lava, which always felt like similar to the uh to the Dante's Peak scene with the grandmother, it those both of those scenes kind of feel like they are physically probably not possible. Like it would just be way too much. And likewise, the scene of Norman surviving outside of the ship for even even if you're to believe that only took 20 seconds seemed completely impossible impossible well they they have a scene at the start when they're having having the this is how you live underwater is a thousand feet they the the guy says a thousand feet your your lungs will be acclimatized to the pressure you could go outside and swim around for a couple minutes uh, but you're probably going to catch hypothermia after like 20 seconds. So they do like movie talk their way through it that it's possible. So in the world Norman of the film, didn't seem that cold when he got in. Right. That's yeah. I, I agree. Um, I, I'm shivering worse than that after getting <laughs> out of the pool in the middle of July. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I, I mean, I'm not going to argue about the plausibility of it, but in the film language, they they work their way around it. Yeah. I, and. So he, he doesn't have a great time of it because he has that scene where he's trying to escape being trapped into the lab with the snakes. And then he also has going on the little walk to the sub and then the valve in his, in his, uh, uh, his suit breaking and then his all his airs running out and he's hyperventilating in there. Uh, so he's, he's not having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so they, uh, uh, Beth thinks about dying because uh, they've pegged her as the insane one because uh, she has a history of, um, attempting to commit suicide but not really they say that it was like a soft attempt where she like took some pills and then phoned somebody to say it's like a cry for help kind of thing yeah, uh, not, not to diminish that but of, um the girl trying to get the attention of her boyfriend that people like to throw into movies right and so the, therefore she is the character who despite everything all the bad things happen to him she is the only one who thinks about maybe we could end it all and so <laughs> she is like it's all everything's her fault uh, so she sets some perimeter uh, of explosives, and then she makes them go off. Basically, it's all Beth's fault. God damn. What was her explanation for setting the explosives in the first place? Because I did not understand. I think uh, it was after the the, the giant squid. So it's like in case another giant squid comes along, then these explosives will kill it. But also them. 
Right. <laughs> so. it, it really made no sense. I thought when she said them that she was just going nuclear and like was just like, I don't give a shit. like I'm going to blow this whole place down. But then the idea of her being like, oh, no, I, I thought this was a practical decision. I'm like, <laughs> no, no. no, it wasn't. It was uh, bizarre. Yeah, I, I am with you. It doesn't make any sense as to why she would have done it. Uh, it, unless like the the thought of ending it all went so far as I'm going to take us all out with explosives, um, <laughs> which I don't think is the case. Uh, so yeah, so she thinks about dying, which makes the the perimeter things go off, and they they have not long to get out, and so they they go to the there's like a little mini sub which every twelve hours, if it's not reset, heads to the surface automatically in case everyone dies. So it's nice that they have that contingency plan. They, they've thought about, hey, what if everyone dies down there? Which is it's good. It's not at all worrying for the people that have gone down there for this perfectly safe mission. And uh, so they, they get in there, and then they, as soon as they get in, they're back in the ship again! And it's, oh, it's, the sphere's messing with their minds, and they're, they're trying to... Every turn they take, they're back in the ship, they're back in the elevator, they're back in the hallway. But they're, no, they're in the, in the sub, but it's... it's I, I couldn't quite work out how they got over uh, these hallucinations of you got to walk down the corridor again, knowing that they're in the sub... Uh, like Dustin Hoffman kind of talks them through it, but not. It wasn't very well sh- explained in the film, I think. Yeah, the only thing I got from it was that he was just like his like will to live overpowered the hallucinations, and he was able to like reach for the button where it was supposed to be. <laughs> he he saw through the VR headset and worked out his surroundings. Okay, and then got up to the surface. And the film ends. Oh, no, the film doesn't end. I think they have to go through the decompression and then they need to work out what to do next. And they decide after about 20 minutes that they all can collectively forget that they have this power to manifest their dreams. And it somehow works. And then the sphere shoots off into space. (laughs) (laughs) Only for the space crew to find and... 50 years to, or 150 or 250 150 <laughs> years from now etc yeah so it is kind of it feels a little silly the forgetting but it also like i was trying to think of an alternative way for it to end and if any of them continued to like manifest it would definitely have like some kind of far-reaching consequences so i kind of felt like it was like a neat way to wrap up like the idea of we would know if or they would have known or like somebody would have known if like they survived yeah so they can't like let's just keep it quiet occasionally we'll have to fight some kind of boogeyman in our in our dreams but just just kind of keep it on the dl we'll be fine uh yeah that, that wouldn't have been satisfying i i agree uh, but just before they do the, the forgetting, Dustin Hoffman like, turns to Sharon Stone and is like, in the past, I did something to you that was wrong. Sorry. Okay. Like, it's a real half-hearted like, apology for this terrible thing that's probably overshadowed every decision she'd made since then. <laughs> uh, which, uh, I didn't like his character. I'm not a huge... like Dustin Hoffman, fine. Uh, I, although he's got some issues outside of uh, in personal life, I think, which I, I don't know about, so I'm not going to go into. Um, right. So, but just maybe this film hits a little close to home. By the way, I, d- I didn't love his performance here. I thought that everyone else was great. I really liked uh, Leo Schreiber. He's always good and stuff, and he's supposed to be an annoying character, and I think he did that well. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, Sharon Stone's doing good work. 
Yeah. And then they, they come out of it and, sound, and they're like, uh, why are you holding my hand? I don't know, you're holding my hand. Uh, it's, the, <laughs> it's an odd little scene. So any any more thoughts on, on Sphere? Have you missed anything? Anything you want to talk about? I did think it was interesting the way that like it was unexpectedly like a time travel loop movie yeah um it's kind of like a thing you don't necessarily think about too much but like i always enjoy that kind of movie and the like the trying to figure out the logic of it yeah i i am a huge fan of time travel in films uh less so in real life uh, but it's it's always good seeing time travel films um so this is this is a new one i can add to the list so yeah that's always <laughs> there's fun. so much other stuff going on that like that almost falls to like you know just like a side note of the movie because <laughs> like sharon stone's character is down there to if they if they meet alien life to kind of analyze it because she's a, a bio uh, a, a biochemist and when there is no alien life she's legitimately disappointed that it's just time travel <laughs> so, <laughs> she's like moping around for a while like, well there's no aliens down here god damn it <laughs> what am i supposed to do <laughs> uh, yeah it was fun and uh, my other thought was like so they all decide to, to quickly forget but that's not going to be enough for the people who like paid for the multi-million dollar uh, uh habitat that's destroyed or the families of the four people who died they were going to ask you, like, so what, what happened under that? I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> There's going to be, like, uh, tribunals, maybe prison time for these people. <laughs> like, something they're happened. They're going to be like, we don't remember. And they're going to be like, you're lying. And they legitimately don't remember. Yeah. Tell us what happened down there. You must remember something. It's, it's explosions. The two people up on shore saw a gold thing fly up into the sky. Like, <laughs> yeah. so i was uh, having a poke around the dvd and i i found something that i've never seen on any other dvd before which is a feature called real recommendations real spelled r-e-l which is just recommendations for other similar films to sphere which it doesn't go into depth with any of them at all it just like shows you a picture of the poster and that's it you can go in and find it on your own i guess so they had similarities for like uh, other films starring Dustin Hoffman. Uh, they had three. Would you like to take a guess as to what they might be? My first guess is Rain Man. Good Barry Levinson. That would make sense. Yes. And then The Graduate. Uh, no. Uh, they they did not list any Barry Levinson films. So they also, like, Wag the Dog could also have worked because uh, they they made that in, in, basically in post-production. Like, they finished making Sphere and then before it came out they made Wag the Dog. Because uh, there's a much smaller film, but no, they they recommended all the president's men, uh, a film called Mad City that I've never heard of, and then Outbreak. Outbreak makes sense to me. They feel right. like Outbreak and Sphere have similarities. In that I thought Kevin Spacey was in this film, but he's not. He's an Outbreak. Uh, so that's those three. For Sharon Stone, uh, they did two films. They did Above the Law, which is a Steven Seagal film, and The Specialist, uh, which neither of which I would consider being recommendations for if you'd like Sphere. And then for Sam Jackson, Sam only gets one film, which, what, what, what do you reckon, of all the Sam Jackson films, what oh, do you reckon is close to Sphere? Bear in mind, this came, this was done before Deep Blue Sea came out, so it's not, right. it's not Deep Blue Sea, well, which would be the most, the biggest recommendation. My obviously. first thought is Pulp Fiction. It is, it is not Pulp Fiction. 
It is also, I, I would have thought, like, oh, Jurassic Park, because it's Michael Crichton as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, it is A Time to Kill. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, which, you know, I don't know if all these were made by the same studio, perhaps, as the way they might be recommending it on, on the DVD. Uh, oh, but... yeah, that makes sense. So, and for Barry Levinson, they recommended Disclosure, <laughs> which is a ridiculous recommendation, uh, but I'm here for it, because I love it. And then they, <laughs> they had uh, genres. They had... Uh, other ocean-going cliffhangers as a genre, for which they recommended Tequila Sunrise and Under Siege, another Stallone uh, uh, Seagal film that we've covered on the show. And then for Alien Encounters, another two films. One of them is, is Contact. Contact makes a lot of sense. This is a very Contact film. This is Contact Underwater. <laughs> the second one, if I gave you a thousand guesses... I don't think you would ever guess this very well-known film with aliens in it. They recommended if you liked, if they liked Sphere, you might like Space Jam. <laughs> <laughs> the only connection I can find other than aliens is a basketball with a sphere. <laughs> Beyond that, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, these are weird, a weird array of things. And I feel like... You know, young Jessica, she probably would have, you know, watched Disclosure at nine years old. <laughs> and That is and too young she, to watch Disclosure. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I would have been like, hmm, Space Jam or Disclosure? I think I want to watch Disclosure on HBO <laughs> when my parents are asleep. Wait, did Demi Moore just rape Michael Douglas? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I feel like, you know, maybe they aren't expecting you know, nine-year-olds to be watching Spear, but they were. So putting something like that on the recommendation list was a brave move. There's also a, a, a huge text document of the history of sci-fi films that spell paragraph by paragraph. So you like read a paragraph, next page, next page. There's like 50 pages long. I didn't Off of your thing. television? On a, yeah, on a DVD. Uh, in, oh my! In 1998, <laughs> <laughs> uh, special features have come a long way. So I have I have two features to do at the end of the show. Uh, first up, how is this film similar to Deep Blue Sea? So as I've mentioned, nice long list. Uh, based on a Michael Crichton, Deep Blue Sea isn't, but Jurassic Park is, and there's lots of similarities between Jurassic Park and Deep Blue Sea. So that's something we he may as well done. Star Samuel Jackson, nice easy ones. There's uh, mm-hmm. an opening scene with a helicopter flying over the water. The general plot is outsiders being flown in to an underwater base. Uh, Samuel Jackson's character has a traumatic past because he has a knee injury and a nervous leg twitch. Uh, <laughs> there's a team of scientists and experts, of which Sam Jackson is kind of the voice of reason at times. Uh, there's a scene where they talk about peeing because Leo Shrub wants to pee in his suit. And, you know, we, when we meet Stellan Skarsgård, he's pissing into the wind. Uh, I've mentioned Queen Latifah is basically in the Brenda role as the communications officer who dies basically first. Uh, there's an underwater elevator. There's an incoming storm. Uh, Queen Latifah is killed by sea creatures, as is M- Margaret Gomez. There's a scene where they're eating breakfast. <laughs> and Samuel Jackson loves eggs. They talk about eggs, just like El Cordae does. Uh, when they're looking at the jellyfish off on Queen Latifah's body, Sharon Stone has a line like, this This isn't something in God's creation, uh, which Skarsgård has a very similar line. Like, oh, not in God's creation, his, of uh, ours. And he was saying... There's a dead body jump scare when they find the dead uh, Margaret Gomez. The scene where Sam Jackson is fed squid 
and uh, like starts freaking out because he's scared of squid. At that point, it was he had been post sphered, and I thought he was freaking out because he he was eating a sea creature, and he had now become like part sea creature. And it's like, it's like <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote down like, is Sam Jackson eating his own kind? Like he must have done up on the mountain in the ever. <laughs> no wonder you weren't enjoying it your first watch through. I was making so many like, oh, is, is it a Wendigo? Is like an aquatic Wendigo now? Um, <laughs> uh, so the underwater facility becomes damaged and starts flooding. Uh, they use fire extinguishers as uh, part of the plot. There's a trail of fire leading to an explosion. Uh, they they deal with an unexpectedly intelligent being. Uh, there's a pressurized open wet pool. Uh, Sharon Stone gets washed down a corridor. The same way Elo Gorgia gets washed down the stairs. The climax has three people in a room all holding hands in a circle. Uh, just before they go up in the in the spout yeah. of the, sea. Um, the 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 second unit AD for the film was David R. Ellis, which is the, the truth of both films. He also went on to direct Snakes on a Plane and Shark Night, which we covered on this show with Nick Rehack, uh, who you know. Barnes, Peter Cote gets cut in half, just like Sam Jackson. And the person on the helicopter who is wearing the the Oreos clothing uh, is a musician. So one of the one of the other helicopter. Uh, crewman in Deeper Sea is a guy who played guitar for the Ramones, uh, my, which is one of my favorite bits of trivia from Deeper Sea because why? Really? Yes, <laughs> he's not a Ramone, but he's like a, a consistent band member for them. <laughs> and the guy flying the helicopter in Sphere is Huey Lewis. Oh, oh my gosh! <laughs> I did know that. I saw that in the credits, but I completely forgot. Which is glorious. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, so I, I saw, I was just about to turn the film off, and I just saw Hugh Lewis, helicopter pilot, I was like, what? <laughs> Explain yourself. <laughs> that is a fun crossover, though, that they both had uh, rock and roll helicopter pilots. Yeah, and, you know, um, they both have a musician in the cast with Quinity for an L. Cool J. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, Pardon Did you say he was wearing an Oreos hat? Uh, like, Oreos? Look- or is an L in there, definitely. It's an Orioles, isn't it? I, 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 you know, it's not a word I've said before, so I tried. O-R-I-O-L-E-S. Yeah, I'm pretty Ori- sure that's what I said. It's, I'm not saying he's like, he's wearing a, a Maryland cookies hat. You know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so the other, uh, the, the other feature is how deep and blue is Sphere? Now, regular listeners know that Deep Blue Sea is, of course, 14 and a half meters or 47 and a half feet deep and 31% blue. Jess, do you think Sphere is deeper and or bluer than Deep Blue Sea? I think it's deeper. But when you say bluer, do you mean like by screen time? Yes. I mean, uh, imagine somebody watching the film making note of how blue the scene is percentage wise and then compiling that in a spreadsheet and a graph like any, any sane person would do so I... uh, so, so where deep sea is 31 percent blue that means that on average the screen is 31 percent blue at any given time <laughs> so there's some scenes where it's 100 percent some are zero percent because there are some there's definitely some blue scenes but i feel like there's a lot more indoor scenes i'm gonna give it deeper but less blue uh, you are correct. So in terms of blueness, it is very close. Where Deeper Sea is 31% blue, this is 29. So it is pretty Because cl- there's a lot of underwater stuff. But also, when they're in the rooms, like numerous rooms have like a blue tint to them. The the Ossa clothing that they're wearing is blue. 
so there, there is some blueness even in those indoor scenes. Depth-wise, not as deep as I first thought it was going to be, given that it's about an underwater uh, exploration. It's still quite deep. It's 241 meters or 791 feet on average deep. But they're only like the depth that they're at is a thousand and twenty-two feet. They say it. I love when you pick films, Jess, because they always say how deep they are exactly <laughs> at some point in the film. Like, they are exactly forty-seven meters down at this point. I they go up. I say, <laughs> are they going to make this clear enough? I think they are. I'll I'll pitch this. <laughs> well, they they did it again because they 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 keep on saying, oh, we're about a thousand feet deep, and then when they go down there and they start walking, like, okay, you logged at logged at a uh, thousand and twenty-two feet deep. Write this down in my notes. Thank you very much. Uh, this, <laughs> this, this is exactly the content I'm here for. Uh, so yeah, so they're down there for the majority of the film at that depth. Uh, some stuff up on the surface, some stuff up a little bit. Uh, the, there's the descent and the ascent, and then uh, the. <laughs> The the, the uh, big gold sphere does at the end uh, fire off into space. I do have to take that into account because uh, that's not deep at all. That's the opposite of deep. That is, uh, it's way up in the air. So it breaks through the atmosphere barrier, which is twelve thousand uh, uh, meters up in the air. So, but that's only for a few seconds. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas when we had Nick on to do Godzilla versus Biollante, the entire closing credits to that film take place in space, uh, which is why that film is our least deep film we've covered. <laughs> at uh, 4,141 metres up in the air, on average, given this entirely on ground level, and then a couple of minutes at the end at 16 kilometres up. <laughs> uh, sorry, 160 kilometres up, because it's satellite level. <laughs> <laughs> Nick wasn't happy about that. <laughs> Get deeper next time. I was like, you know what? 47 metres down, I'll raise you. Yeah. I'll raise you that, but you know what? Way less blue. Than 47 yes, meters down. 47 meters down is still, still our bluest film at uh, 81%. Yeah. yeah, very few films even close to that. <laughs> uh, I mean, you've got the next closest, I think, is, is The Reef, which is 73%. But that's on surface level, so there's no depth to it at all. Mm. Uh, and also, it's just not, not a very fun film, The Reef. Didn't like The Reef. Yeah, I'm not sure we're going to get anything bluer than, uh, than, than 47 meters down unless we cover one of the Three Colors films. Um, I, I, I'll hold my title for that one. Yeah, you currently do. Uh, deepest is still held by Leviathan uh, with Robert Zerby, because that's like the bottom of the sea in a trench. Uh, then it's, and then Aquaman. Aquaman, they go to the center of the earth at one point, but not for very long. So I was going to say, what about Journey to the Center of the Earth? Haven't done it yet. <laughs> haven't done it yet. So that's that's a potential 20,000 leagues under the sea. Haven't done it yet. Is that? I assume they adapted that at some point. They must have done. They must have. Uh, but wasn't um, David Fincher working, like, supposedly going to work on that? Or was it a different deep sea movie? I have no idea. But I'm pretty sure that that project never got, like, off the ground. But I feel like he was working on a 20,000 League adaptation at one point. But it just kind of, like, a lot of his projects just kind of, like, drifted away. It's, it sank without a trace, yeah. Uh, well, it, it is not even listed on his uh, upcoming, like, potential films at the moment on IMDb. So, yeah, I think yeah. it was something that was, like, very much in pre-production stages. But it also could have been a different movie. Yeah, but well, if, if he I makes it, it we'll talk about it. Uh, if he doesn't, <laughs> we won't. Because, like, he doesn't have anything that would be kind of deep sea adjacent. So we, we legally cannot discuss uh, the work of David Fincher on this podcast. It cannot be done. So... There's a scene in um, Gone Girl where Amy is under the water. Isn't she in a bath? 
Or is that a, I mean, no. no? There's I've a scene a, of her, in a pool, her, like, yeah. floating under the water. Like, her body, like, underwater. Yes, that's a scene. <laughs> uh, I'm going <laughs> to draw the line. Well, I, well, I suppose, I mean, like, we covered uh, deep water, <laughs> the Ben Affleck and Adiamas thrill of many of this year because it had deep water in it, is the title. Um, so I guess we could, <laughs> but no, there, there are far more uh, deeper sea adjacent films. Yeah. Um, to cover instead. So thank you, Jess, for joining me. Let's talk about Sphere. Thank you for recommending it. Thanks for having me again. Oh, and any, anytime. I'm glad I didn't lead you too far astray on this, considering that I barely remembered what I was signing you up for. <laughs> I mean, that, that is always an adventure for us both when that happens, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, do you have anything you wish to promote? Where can the listeners find you online? Um, nothing really at the moment. Thank you. Okay, no worries. Uh, if anything comes out, we will plug it for you. Uh, but you can find uh, more of my work at lifeversusfilm.com is my, my site. I'm on the Lambcast once a month hosting Lampady, our movie trivia version of Jeopardy, uh, with other Lamb members, the Lamb is the Large Association of Movie Blogs, uh, which you can find at largeassmovieblogs.com. If you have a movie blog or podcast and want to join a community of like-minded folks, then come, come do that over there. It's a fun time. And uh, you can find all of Mark's stuff over at Movies, Films, and Flicks, F-L-I-X. Uh, and uh, he will be back on next week's show, because uh, next week is our 100th episode. Oh, wow. Which, if you count all of the DBC chapters, uh, it, which uh, we aren't specifically covering a film. We have something special next week. It's uh, kind, It was going to be a bonus episode, now it's going to be its own fully-fledged one, because it kind of spiraled out of control. Uh, but come back next week. You don't need to watch anything in preparation. It gets mentioned on the show. So come back next week for our special 100th episode. It's been recorded. It's chaotic. It's going to be well, fun. Congratulations on that. I'm so honored to be 99. Uh, you're, we're honored to have you for, for 99. This is your, your, <laughs> you made it four times on before we hit 100. So uh, one of our most frequent guests, I think. Uh, so we, we, we love having you on, Jess. And we look forward to having you back on again sometime for whatever film you half remember watching next. <laughs> uh, but as for uh today uh i i have been oh you can find you can follow the show on twitter facebook instagram at dbc pod email us dbc pod at gmail.com and uh, i have been jake lewitt and i'll deep blue see you next week Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.